there's a sort of evil out there. Something very, very strange in these old woods. Call it what you want, uh, a darkness, a presence. It takes many forms, but it's been out there for as long as anyone can remember. And we've always been here to fight it. Welcome to the Twin Peaks Rewatch Podcast on the Idle Thumbs Network. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. This week, we are discussing Twin Peaks Episode 4, Rest in Pain. One of the best titles <laughs> of anything ever. Uh, Rest in Pain was directed by Tina Rathborn and written by Harley Payton. And it first aired April 26th, 1990. And it's called Rest in Pain. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. we've talked a bunch about the episode names being strange how this is to episode number four but its original number was episode three because the pilot was produced separately as a two-hour movie and independent of the show so they started over the show numbering with episode one but the names also were not originally attached to the episodes and only oh, yeah, got, i didn't know that the names only got added in when it was first uh rebroadcast in germany wow. and now those okay. names have been adopted by fans and do eventually you, the show as the names of the episodes but like do you know who wrote them i don't um i should try to find that um, yeah, that's like that's a good question. Is what, what were those names made up by the writing team? Okay, when yeah. someone knows and can write in. Yeah, I it's it's weird that Twin Peaks has just had all these like all the minutia surrounding the episode seems like it's been layered on heavily over time. Yeah. Where it's like episode pilot episode one. I think it must also it also the must, log lady intros. It also surely dates from an era when. I mean, now you would none of that stuff would ever be in dispute now because everyone knows that the second the show is done. Or even possibly before it's done, it's already going to be up on streaming services. There's going to be DVDs that are released. Uh, it's you know it's going to be available maybe on the network's website to right. watch it the same day. Like there's all of the, you so know. So it's you, a very specific decision. Are we going to name our episodes or number our episodes? People care about that now. Like, is there weird and, and not only that, features? but I think it's also just more industry standard. Yep. How all that stuff works. Yeah. Well, like just if Twin Peaks came out now and it was actually called only episode one, two, three, four without names, that would feel like a, that was a choice. Like a, a choice. And a, there are shows that do that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, I don't know. The fourth episode is really called episode three, but it's also called rest in pain. Cause yeah. in Germany they wanted to call it a name. Yep. Good. <laughs> uh, anyway, that, sorry for that sideline. Yeah, yeah. No worries. So in this episode, um, Cooper recounts the dream he had at the end of the previous episode. Uh, there's a fight over the autopsy of Laura Palmer's body that eventually results in Albert delivering some limited but still um, new evidence. We meet Maddie Palmer, Laura's very, very similar looking cousin. Uh, we meet the Bookhouse boys and learn of their involvement to the drug smuggling plot as well as their relationship to this apparently um, long existent darkness hosted in the, hosted by this town. Uh, there are some more woods outside it, the woods outside it. That's, that's correct. Uh, there's some more complications to the wheelings and dealings surrounding the, the mill. And we get to attend Laura Palmer's, um, memorial service and funeral, including some fairly outrageous occurrences. Like we get to attend Laura Palmer's funeral. (laughs) Join us. Join us. (laughs) So <laughs> the wacky coffin uh, does things we'll talk about later, I guess, yes, for sure. Uh, an amazing moment. So this episode opens with Audrey in the Great Northern uh, ambushing Cooper, basically calling him Colonel Cooper and 
and um yeah the continuation of their incredibly creepy and sort of bad seeming yet continuously kind of charming relationship i yeah. guess like <laughs> it's bad it's all things happening that's true i i um Ugh. my girlfriend sarah and i dressed up as audrey and cooper for halloween this year jake as you know i would use all the same adjectives I know, that i right? just used to describe <laughs> you two yeah and, and it was funny because when she proposed that idea i had not watched any of these episodes recently um and i'd kind of forgotten just what the how like the vibe yeah which doesn't whatever for the purpose of halloween it makes no difference at all but it was a funny thing to as i was watching these episodes in the lead up to halloween be like oh right that's what this is well yep that's okay yeah i saw you guys kiss on halloween and it was really awkward oh thanks jake (laughs) (laughs) um so Oh, someone at the party that we were at saw saw that, saw just not knowing you, I don't think, saw just Cooper and Audrey kissing and said, finally. <laughs> um, That's pretty good. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, um, so during in that scene, um, Cooper kind of has a small ploy that he uses to get Audrey to reveal her handwriting, which he then uses to confirm that she was the one with the note um, saying Jack with one eye. Uh, right. And so that, that, I guess, plants the seed for her being more directly aware of some of the stuff that's going on right. than we have any reason to assume in the first few episodes. She's kind of just generally aloof and um, nosy, I guess. Yep. Speaking of which, uh, this happens later in the episode, I guess. But it's, Well, yeah, her nosiness comes, yeah. comes to the fore. Yeah. Her, she has a whole secret passageway that she uses to then look through a secret peephole um yeah i think i think that the theme of this episode is exposition ah oh it's that (laughs) but it might be exposition through secret passages Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because audrey has that secret passage and then later on we're brought back to the ledgers that are hidden behind the bookcase but then Catherine hides the ledger inside of a secret drawer one room away from the secret (laughs) bookcase it's It's just like (laughs) It's outra- it's totally Let me pull ridiculous. this ledger from this bookcase safe and put it inside of a false drawer inside of my study that I will lock. Basically, like, surely Audrey was also listening to that through another, like, labyrinthine passage that connects uh, to, the, to the mill. Right. We'll find out in season three had yeah. that been made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, like, I, good. How much – I wonder about the screenplay and the direction of this episode on that note because so – especially, I think, in the first – in the – early scenes of this episode, certainly this first scene at the great Northern, which not only includes, um, Audrey, but then, uh, shifts to Cooper describing to Truman, the, the his dream details from, of his dream. Yeah. There is just so much just talking and sharing plot details in a completely unfettered yeah, way. It feels very much like after last week, this is now the like, okay, Let's lay everything out and take right, it a step forward. This information. Yeah. Including Cooper just saying Cooper explaining his dream in a way more concrete way than was in the previous episode. Not only concrete, but more detailed. I mean, he yeah, says okay. things about his dream that did not occur yeah. in what was shown to us of his dream. I thought that he was recounting missed time at first. And he was like, I saw uh, or when he said Sarah Palmer saw a man, Hawk drew a picture of him. I was like, oh, does that mean there's a composite sketch now that was made in between him waking up and this breakfast? No, no, no. It was his dream included that information that we didn't see. Yeah. 
which is all from the European pilot, actually. Like, that all that footage all exists and just wasn't on TV. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. It, it is odd that they... But, you know, as... You know, I think for the purpose of discussing this show fictionally, I think we have to kind of ignore the European pilot, right? Because a lot of stuff is different. Yeah, you have and to think so, about it. Oh, go ahead. So I'm just saying within the context of what was shot and aired in Twin Peaks itself, I guess the way you interpret that, the way I would interpret it anyway, is that sensation you have in dream, after dreaming that you somehow know more about what happened in the dream right. than what literally occurred yeah, in the dream. His brain had the contextual that- wrapping for the dream that he was then able to articulate. Right. Where, like, in a dream, you're wandering through hallways and you wake up and you're like, oh, it was my friend's house, but it was actually kind of a combination <laughs> of that and a haunted house we went in when we were 12 yeah. and a house that shows up in four of my other dreams. Right. Or whatever. But it's also possible only 10% of the information right. to know that was actually in the dream. Right. It was just a feeling plus yeah. your brain is going, this is mm-hmm. what is happening. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. As like total total recall style injected yeah. uh, historic rapper. Yep. Which in this case was a European pilot. <laughs> uh, also, there's I God, I just wrote down a, a as I've become want to do. I've I jotted down a quick statement from Cooper that cracked me up, which is his exclamation that nothing, nothing beats, beats the taste, taste sensation <laughs> when maple syrup clap collides yep. with ham. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's good. I also like that um, when he's describing these two characters, Mike and Bob, uh, I never, I didn't notice this in the first few episodes, or at least after episode three, until someone else pointed it out, that there are characters in the show named Mike and Bobby, and Truman just immediately says... Mike, Mike and Bobby Cooper goes, no, different Mike, different Bob. But what a weird choice to have yep. the two. There's so few characters who are just pairs who are always, who only like, um, the Mike character, the Mike teenage character doesn't really exist at all as a character, as I remember anyway, other, other than, like than Bobby's to, compatriot. other than a hang around Bobby. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. We, we were like, what strange choices for names last week? And, a bunch of people wrote in and were like, uh, it's the only <laughs> names that also coexist inside. Like, good. Yeah. Way yep. to go. Yep. I, it's one of those things that I think I'd remembered having seen the show before and then totally forgot. And this in this watch, they completely forgot. Yeah. Until we were we were uh, reminded. In, in, in other things I liked from that scene, I guess to add to my my unwritten list of adorable moments between Cooper and Truman. Uh, Cooper says, Laura whispered the name of the killer in my ear. Truman says, who was it? Uh, I don't remember. Damn. Yep. And he's so disappointed. He's as like, though, oh, your dream didn't as, reveal the answer. Right. He's completely credulous. He has, uh, there's, yep. He's w- completely accept, you're willing to accept that this would have been an incredibly important lead. Like what a huge break in the case of him. Like, oh yeah, actually my dream said it was Bobby Briggs or right. whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was you, Truman. Uh, <laughs> so then we go from there to the morgue. Uh, Albert is fighting with Dr. Hurley over the right to conduct an aut- autopsy on Laura. Ben Horn, for some reason, is the one mediating that. He says that he's there because Leland... It's because... Isn't this... Oh, I think this is the day before the memorial service, or is it the same day? I'm not sure. Because I, I suspect, once again, this episode takes place over a day, 
and that Leland isn't there because his daughter's funeral is that later that day. But uh, he just Ben Horn just says, "I'm here on behalf of yeah Leland who couldn't make it." Mm-hmm. But I don't. I imagine it's because if they'd put Leland in the scene, he would have just been crying, going insane, and not actually <laughs> right. able to have the scene do the things that's, it's supposed it's, to do as it's a scene. True. It was just weird that yeah. Um, although I do have to say I am sympathetic to Albert in this scene, not sympathetic to him as a, as a human being necessarily, but, uh, sympathetic to his frustration and not being able to conduct an autopsy on this incredibly bizarre, right. The weirdest thing murder that, that is apparently part of like a serial killer, a serial case, killer yeah. case based on Cooper's suspicions that I, like, I would be pretty pissed about that. All right. Cause yeah, there's, um, man, what's the name of the first girl? I can't remember. Not Renat Pulaski, but the one from the other town. Yes, the one because yeah. there's the the girl from the other town who also had a thing in her under her fingernail. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, and then the third, then the third attempt, presumably of Renette. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Albert would be justifiably pissed. Yeah. Um, that doesn't excuse the way he acted, though, Chris. Let's be honest. <laughs> I know he's a jerk. Um, so another thing that happens in this episode is that we finally see, we finally hear the first real dialogue from Invitation to Love. Which was introduced last episode yep. as this in-world soap opera. Man, Invitation to Love has one job to do in this episode too, and it's and it's really good. Well, it just it lists all the characters, right? Is there is there any actual dialogue oh, in it? Yeah, no. It's, okay, it's, I wrote it all down. Invitation to Love. I love these names. Starring Martin Padley as Chet, Selena Swift as Emerald and Jade, Evan Saint Vincent as Jared Lancaster, Jason Denbo as Montana, and then it opens with. Uh, I guess the, I don't know, a father character is saying, my darling daughter Jade and Emerald. <laughs> it's <laughs> yep. amazing. And as he says that, Maddie arrives. Well, it's just like, yeah, That's Maddie. That's how Maddie's introduced. Yeah, then an actress, the actress who plays Laura Palmer shows up with a wig and yeah. glasses. Yep. As Jade or Emerald. Yep. Or and. And. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the... The Twin Peaks is also just a soap opera. Basically, punches you in the face like three thousand mm-hmm. times right here, more than anything ever it has or will again. I imagine. I don't know. I mean, in, in a literal sense, sure. Yeah, that's or like I, in, a, in, a, in that with that direct illusion. I mean, it just yeah, yeah, I, yes, mm-hmm. just totally. It's I'd forgotten that it was that in tight proximity. I'd remembered this like a character sees that scene and then like. Half an episode later, Maddie shows up. I'd forgotten that it was just like, oh yeah, right. Hi, completely and deliberate direct. Hi, it's me. I'm just like, <laughs> okay, yeah. This is what we're doing. It's true. Um, after that, uh, we learn that Norma's estranged husband Hank is out on parole soon. I don't necessarily have anything to say about this. It'll become more relevant later. I no, suppose. yeah. All the, all that scene was was, isn't that going to be weird? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Although yes, Norma did ha- uh, use that as uh, a moment to be a total boss. To Hank's lawyer when he's like, what do you say to all the men who come around? And she was like, well, oh, right. fuck yourself. <laughs> yep. I thought that was enjoyable. Yeah. No, that was good. Um, Cooper and Truman then visit Leo to question him. You're about passing Laura. over the insert shot of ducks. That could be really oh, important and it. meaningful. I That's all I got. I don't remember that. Oh, there's ducks. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> he crossfades to some ducks. And I was like, oh, good. Good insert shot. I actually really like those in this show. I like that the insert shots or the passage of time shots in Twin Peaks are often basically they yeah. look like b-roll from the opening credits they have a different kind of that with the stoplights this episode yes oh man the thing sorry i'm gonna jump all no, the way back ahead. to the beginning of the go episode yeah. but i i i saw it that i'd written it down after 
if you want something that is indicative of the difference in sort of interesting cinematic and presentational detail between a David Lynch episode and any other episode, the opening credits roll of last episode was that silent dinner scene between the Horn family. And it was just like perfect use of that time, like time you have to have in a show mm-hmm. where you're fading up all the other yeah. actors. This episode was a shot of the mill that looked like it was literally a rejected shot from the opening credits, including <laughs> it being slowed down to one and a half speeds, like the frame rate was bad. And it literally just played the Twin Peaks theme over it a yeah. second time. I was wondering about that. It looked like a mistake or something. Almost. I don't think it was a mistake. I think it was just whoever, you know, the direction of this episode just didn't account for that as a thing to do. So it was like, okay, whatever. Get the credits out of the way. I don't have anything worth putting over them. Next, like, why wasn't that just Audrey waiting for Cooper? Why wasn't there yeah, so many things that, that it could really be? Weird, yeah. But instead, it was just like, uh, it, I mean, I can't speak to the actual intentionality behind it, but it feels like there was none. It feels like it was just like, mm-hmm. whatever. I'm not concerned with that. Whereas I thought last episode did such a good job of like using every possible morsel available to it in that regard. Was it the mill or was it the shot? No, it was the Great Northern. It was it was an establishing shot of the Great Northern and the falls. Yeah, yeah. yeah but it, it was like. It was yep. just it was it was odd. It, it was so it was nothing. Um so yeah, then we see Cooper and Truman visiting Leo to question him about Laura. I don't know how <laughs> how interesting that is still at this point. Not a not a ton, although <laughs> the the only thing that I noticed about it was that I had forgotten that Cooper hasn't met everyone in the town yet because when oh, that's true. Truman's yeah. like Leo, this is Agent Cooper of the FBI. Then Leo's just like, who the hell's he? Right. And then Cooper immediately, or then he's like, oh, I don't have a record. And then Cooper somehow just knows every single thing right. that Leo's ever done in his entire life. But I like yeah. that Leo's first line to Cooper is, who the hell's he? And that's right. four episodes into the show. No, it's true. That's a that's, good, that's, that's, a good all, that I, that's yeah. all that I noticed about that. Um, after that, we are questioned by, or not questioned, we see Bobby once again in a kind of forced attempt at bonding with his father. Um, yet another vain, completely vain attempt. Um, you were saying they were at a church or something? I think they were. No, yeah. they were at their house. Oh, That's really? What's amazing. About okay, that shot because oh, because is that there's these like palm fronds and a shrine to Jesus, and it and they're dressed up because right, Bobby's like they're playing four- with a crucifix in the background and stuff. Yeah, and they're when the scene starts, he's weirdly like in a weirdly odd way, kind of reaching up yeah. towards the crucifix. Um. Before his his father comes in and interrupts him, but he's wearing formal clothes, which he he never does. We know there's going to be a funeral, right? They're presumably on their way to the to the funeral right. or the and memorial so or whatever. I suspect intentionally that scene is framed to make yeah. it seem like they're already in a chapel or something, but they're not. They're just at home. I'm yeah. I'm ninety percent sure. Okay, you're probably that's just right. where they live. Yeah, which is fascinating. <laughs> uh, it's a really yeah. I did not notice that at all because it just it just it's basically just an. an an unending shot or at least a single setup for that entire thing. There's not a lot of coverage. Mm-hmm. It's exactly. just it's the two one, of them talking yes. and then Bobby or his dad is like trying to give him really weirdly advanced emotional advice about like, don't be afraid of this thing. And then right. Bobby just loses his mind yeah. and says, afraid. I can't wait. I'm going to turn it I'm going to turn it upside down. down. And then <laughs> and his mom, and then everybody, everybody ready. ready? <laughs> like it's, I liked the scene a lot, but it also bummed me out because it is a structural 100% rip of the exact of their conversation yes, in the previous episode or two episodes ago. This is how this ago. family works. Yeah. But like, 
it was it was still good to watch, but uh, it did it was just like no, it's true. Okay, we it saw, wasn't we revealing saw new information yeah. about their relationship at all. Yeah, it's just doubling down on it. For yeah, sure. that's also sort of the theme of this episode: is characters are going to advance the plot, but we're not going to actually learn a ton mm-hmm. more about Definitely. their yeah. interconnectedness, mm-hmm. with the exception of a couple scenes way late in the episode. I mm-hmm. think. Um, um, after that, we cut to the police station where we learn Hawk is looking for Mike, and then we get the sort of questionable. He's a tracker. He's a tracker. Ooh, the best. Mm, the best. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, he's a tracker. Oh, because he's Native American. 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 Yeah. Um, <laughs> cool. We then get Albert's uh, test results from Laura Palmer's body. I guess his limited test results based on not being able to do a full autopsy. We. It is confirmed that she was. She had a cocaine addiction. Um, there are twine fibers on her arm and in the railroad car. Uh, from the same rope, uh, but there's two different as, there's as, two different twines on Laura's wrists, though, right? Is that wasn't that correct that she was tied up in two different times in that night? Yes, okay. I think that's the. But I thought that. But I thought the the oh the twine on her wrist and the twine in the train it car matches that of of um, Renette Pulaski as well, right? As okay. So yeah, um, we learned that the way she was she the way she was tied for some amount of time was with her arms tied back, which was significant to Cooper because of her mentioning in the dream, sometimes right. my arms bend back. Um, there was soap outside the railroad car and in her neck suggesting that the killer washed his hands and then leaned in for a kiss. And um, there were claw marks and bites, um, which Truman asks about presumably an animal. And then, which Albert kind of just doesn't actually address. He just, right. he just fires a pot shot at Truman to be a butt. And then, uh, there's a plastic fragment in Laura's stomach that includes the letter J that is presumably related to the plastic found under fingernails of some of these victims. Yep. Um, it's just a lot of information, I guess. There's not really... Yeah, It's this is like classic procedural content, basically, of just yeah. like... There in, was... a, in a way that was actually sort of startling to me, because I, it is not what this show... This show is not really a procedural. Right. It, it, it dips into it occasionally, but almost never as well, completely straightforwardly as this scene. Right. At least, though, to the show's credit in that regard, like credit is not the right word, but like one of the clues is creepy and weird, the washing hand kiss thing. Like that's a level of creepiness uh-huh. that I don't think is really like that's par for the course in modern procedurals, but like. That, but then one of them ties into a dream sequence. One of them is maybe about an animal being involved. Like at true. least, like that's true. At least the angles that they all go off into, and then the small piece of plastic with the letter J is just like a hundred percent. If you're in Twin Peaks for the mystery, that's like the thing that you mm-hmm. postulate about forever. That's true. I guess the I guess the interesting thing about this scene, in the context of what you just said, is that to us as the viewers who have the fullest awareness of everything that every character has done we can draw all these connections to Albert. He's just providing right. objective evidence it means nothing to him that Cooper's had a dream. He's not aware of that. Right. Presumably most of these things are not significant beyond these will help us piece together a literal crime that occurred. Right. Yeah. But whereas for Cooper, that's it's like this presented. backwards talking right. version, dream version of this character whose right. body you did set a thing that actually is meaningful to this rope fact. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes exactly um we then you know so that that ends obviously with um albert and truman getting in yet another 
altercation, and then Sherman just punches Cooper in the, or uh, Albert in the face. Is that now? I thought that was earlier. I thought the punch in the face was in the morgue. It's this. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're right. That was that was in the morgue. This is when this Albert, is with Albert just requests, saying, can I, Cooper, can we talk alone for a minute? And yes, he says, I'm he filing his, a report against report. Truman. Yes, you're right. And sorry, then I don't all, know how I, mixed all I need up. is your signature. Cooper says, I'm not signing that. And then Cooper starts like waxing yeah, he about has this Twin whole, Peaks. I've only been in Twin Peaks a short time, but at that time I've seen decency, honor, and dignity. He goes on for a while and says, Laura Palmer's death has affected every man, woman, and child because life has meaning here. Um this talk kind of, oh go ahead i don't know what you're gonna say about that no not really i mean that's kind of what the show is about right is the is that her death is this weird right catalyst but when i just thinking about this now it makes me want to jump ahead to later in the episode it might actually be very soon after this no there's a, there's a couple other things but like all of that stuff that cooper says about his read on the world of twin peaks i'm very glad is undercut very quickly by the sheriff being like uh, actually, let me tell you that everything is kind of a disaster. That's true, yeah. And yes. whatever you're like, whatever our life is, it's this way because of a very long-standing, forceful effort on members of the town to keep a bunch of really, actually tangible, terrible things, mm-hmm. tangible and intangible, from spilling into our lives. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, like, you know, I mean, Cooper's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to buy some property here. And then, like... Yep. Later on within the same episode, they're like, this place is actually super fucked up. Mm-hmm. And, you know. No, it's true. Those are, that's a good thing to both have in one episode. Yeah. Um, so moving along, I guess, uh, there's a whole scene that I don't think there's that much to say about really right now, which is Ed and Nadine at home. We learn that Ed and Norma, who are currently in, I guess, kind of a pseudo affair, um, they were. They, they were, were thinking high school. In high school. Yeah. Nadine was, was jealous of, of uh, Norma for that reason. Um, we see Nadine's porcelain doll collection, which is a small detail, but seems fitting somehow. Yep. Um, James arrives for the sole purpose of which apparently is to simply say he's not going to the funeral, right. then he leaves immediately. Man. Uh, I guess an era without cell phones. Uh, Ollie, our friend Ollie has been watching along with us, or he, but I think he's about a week and a half ahead. He became obsessed and now I'm obsessed with the shot of James walking into the house because it's the most weirdly framed, like, <laughs> it's so strange because James is just an awkward character and he's getting to me, like, I'm not a big fan of James. Like, mm-hmm. his overall story arc, not into, but like, <laughs> I just think he's a goober. But like, the way that he walks in and is just framed in the doorway where, like, for some reason they chose to frame him from his toes to his head full frame. But, like, he's just, bare, like, he's just, like, touching the edges of your television set and just sort of, like, awkwardly looking because he's walked in on this weird Ed and Nadine thing. I don't know. I'm tempted to just use it as the art for this episode so that people can see this yeah. complete. Ollie actually made an extended. Yeah, he, he made it widescreen so that, we can, the... so that we can use it for the episode art. But just, yeah. like. Oh man, it's like, yeah, he sent that to me and I sort of had forgotten about it. And then when James walked into the room and just went in that pose, I was like, yeah. okay, what is this yeah, character? Our first, our first non-Cooper including. I know, that's good. Uh, so uh, after this, we see Audrey opening her secret door at the Great Northern. We've already kind of talked about that. She for- watches Jacoby and Johnny Yeah, in their meeting. Yep. I don't know if you have anything additional to say about that. I guess not, actually. Yeah. Um, and then after that is the funeral, which... For most of the time, is just a series. 
of really close up face shots. Yeah, it's the minister just reading stuff, and then we're just looking across every single person yeah, and in just the entire reaction show. shots. Yeah. yeah, which is interesting. I don't think the show has done anything like that yet. Nope. Also, it was all all of those shots were, of course, to Laura Palmer's theme. Mm-hmm. Um, as the as after the minister finishes his speech, Johnny uh, and Audrey Horns. Oh, this is one weird brother. thing that that uh, that Dana pointed out. It just it means nothing, but I thought it was interesting. The shot of the minister when he's reading his stuff. The two people that he's flanked by, the two people that are the closest to the middle of this thing, are. Uh, on screen left is the log lady, and on screen right is Shelly. What weird staging. I imagine that's just not <laughs> that's deliberate, yeah. but it's just like... It, it is It odd. feels like they literally just did slam all of the cast together around this guy and start filming. Mm-hmm. Like, when I saw that, I was like, <laughs> what? That, that, is, that, too, is a very soap opera-ish thing, right? I mean, yeah. we assume this town has all kinds of people in it, but the way that they shoot the funeral is just all the people who are relevant to this one specific television show... Right, the ones who are important. Remember to that here. time when the log lady and Shelly both arrived uh, to the funeral to get a good right. seat? I guess, <laughs> but, like, but like, do we have any reason to believe Shelly has anything to do with Laura at all? Right. We, yeah. Uh, um. Anyway, so after Johnny shouts "Amen," Bobby starts screaming "Amen," and then goes on a whole tear. He says, "What are you looking at? You make me sick. You damn hypocrites make me sick. Everyone knew she was in trouble. We didn't do anything. All you good people. You want to know who killed Laura? We did. We all did." Pretty words aren't going to bring her back, man. So save your prayers. She would have laughed at them anyway. Um, and then James and Bobby have a fight. Bobby's screaming, "You're dead, man! You're dead!" And I guess those. I guess that is just sort of a an allusion to their Bobby and James. I guess represent the two sides we know about Laura. Mm-hmm. I guess which right is this sort of James insistent, obsessive, like belief that she was this really right that she sort of she had her lapses right like that was exactly and then and then bobby kind of frustratedly screaming that that was never never the case yeah it was interesting to hear that speech come out of bobby's mouth because he was because he's bobby i've sort of always imagined including on this viewing of it that he's saying that in part just to be a shit and to make everyone feel bad but it also is entirely correct. Yeah. Like every single person that's ever talked to about the case is just like, yeah, Laura was fucked up. She did all this crazy stuff in her life. No one could really keep track of what she was doing. And it seemed like she was in trouble. Anyway, what a tragedy. Yeah, right. Exactly. I think, I think that there's, I think there's definitely some of that from Bobby that is intentional. I mean, obviously his nature is to get a rise out of people, Yeah. but I think, you know, I think he probably is actually okay. I didn't. I don't mean that he stumbled upon the truth accidentally, but I mean he presented it in the way that he did. No, no, I know that. I meant. I think his kind of frustration is also, at least in part, genuine. Yeah, that, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um. Next moment is the like the best moment <laughs> in this incredible. episode. Yeah, Leland breaks down, jumps onto the coffin, begins to be lowered into the grave. The coffin riser, uh, whatever it's called. Goes haywire. Starts. Someone actually says the whole, the whole thing has gone, gone haywire. haywire. Yeah, God. And then his <laughs> wife Sarah starts screaming, "Don't ruin this too!" She starts crying as Leland is like pumped up and down by this. <laughs> oh my God! It's yeah. It's an extreme example of it's. Just, this is, I guess, what Leland Leland's character at this point exists mainly to create the most outrageous tragicomic situations. <laughs> yep. That exist on his grief show. always just somehow ratchets up 
exponentially six times the moment it starts. Right. Like, to create a, some kind of slapstick yep, right. it moment got, or snowball effect. Always. Like the... Oh, like last week was the dancing with, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. with the song. Which Another people, moment of that. Which later. people pointed out correctly, the telephone ringing is actually, oh, yes. is actually a part, part of the song. Pennsylvania 65000, yes. Yeah. Which I, I don't know why I didn't remember that. 65000 is a phone number... From the era when phone numbers well, were Well, Pennsylvania 65000 is a phone number. Right, exactly. Entirety. Right. Pre-area code, pre-current area code system, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yes, correct. Um, but as someone on the forums postulated, Lynch probably picked that song in part because it just has another cacophonous element yes, inside of it. I'm, I'm sure, yeah. There's no way that's accidental. Um, so we then cut to another traffic lights shot, which we mentioned. I... In this one, we see the entire intersection, yep. which makes it a little less abstract yep. than the other ones. There's Although no the episode ends, uh, the Mark uh, Mark Frost, David Lynch, executive producer shot is the traffic light of this episode as well. Mm, that's right. But yeah, this, so I always remember the traffic light feeling like a very intentional, super deliberate, potent image. But this episode has now like removed that for me because of that shot where like the traffic light is just used as an insert shot. I'm like, oh. You don't think it? You don't think it has that feeling to it in this it, case? It still did, but I, I like it's the traffic light continues to be a weird thing to me because I know it yeah. doesn't technically actually mean anything, but it's like it just being mixed in with the con, like with all mm-hmm. the other contents of the show. It always well, it's I mean the so in this case, I don't know. Is it worth discussing what comes before and after it? So obviously, yeah, talk before, about it. before it was the funeral, after it. Uh, we're in the double R with, um, well, the first thing that happens in that scene is Shelly is mocking Leland for his antics at the funeral. Right. Um, which also kind of makes me think Shelly probably wasn't like a super close friend of Laura, right? Like right. If she, like she's goofing around no. about. But but anyway, the actual substance of that scene is Ed, Truman, and Hawk waiting for Cooper to tell him. Right. And they're talking about the darkness of yeah. the, of of Twin Peaks. And I guess... It's pretty often that you see a stoplight turn red right before the something like basically before the content ends up taking that turn. Yeah. It'll be I mean, we'll keep tracking this, I guess. Yeah. I I don't you know, it's been enough years since I watched this series all the way through, as I've said before, that I don't really remember the full extent to how the right. stoplights are used. Like I the, also wasn't watching it for it necessarily. In the pilot, but. I think that there is a shot of the swinging stoplight, then it turns red and then mm-hmm. That's when Sarah Palmer, yeah, that's true. Sees Bob mm-hmm. for the first time, yeah. like. Mm-hmm. But um, who, who's to say? It's also yeah. just it just as visual imagery. It's also just really nice. Sure. So uh, Truman, I'm sorry. So Cooper learns about the the Bookhouse Boys. He learns, in a general sense, about what Coop about what Truman describes as this darkness in the woods outside of town. Um, Cooper also, incidentally once again, pulls his weird body language maneuver in a way that I think is even thinner than the previous time he did it when he calls out Big Ed for being in love with Norma mm-hmm. based on effectively nothing. Yep. Although um, it sounds like they had a bet at the table that Cooper would be able to figure that out. That's that's true, yeah. Because they're because like, have whatever pie you want. Then it's like, Ed looks like you're buying the like pie. You're buying. Yep, yep, yeah, that's true. Um, anyway, that was just a weird little thing. Um, so they discuss this drug subplot someone someone is running drugs into the town uh 
They, Jack, they think it's Jacques Renault. Jacques Renault is the middle is the middleman at the Roadhouse. They believe um, Hawk is doing a stakeout. Um, so that that's this lead into this darkness thing, where Truman says Twin Peaks is different. It's a long way from the world, and that's why we like it. But there's a back end to that that's kind of different too. There's a sort of evil out there. Something very strange in these old woods. Call it what you will, a darkness, a presence. It takes many forms. But it's been out there as long as anyone can remember, and we've been there to fight it. Men before us, men before them. Men after we're gone. Uh, Cooper's excited by this secret society. It's very appealing to him. Man, Cooper buys into everything about this immediately. Instantly, which we can talk yeah. to. I'll talk, I'll talk about it in a second when we get to the stuff with uh, Bernard. But mm-hmm. um, So they... They say, why don't we take Agent Cooper for a little ride? And then they all do this little teardrop gesture with their finger. Which they, they'd done earlier as well, right? Is that correct? Or like there was some other bookhouse boys, yeah. like Secret Handshake or, or uh-huh. little, that, that, yeah. that exact movement is in episode two or something. Like it's way, early in the, way earlier in the show. Um, so we then were out at the, the bookhouse, I guess. Which is, it's a bar that has a bunch of books in it. Yeah. And uh, it's a bar that looked really appealing to me, actually, because of that. It looks really <laughs> comfortable. Have you ever been to Two Sisters in San Francisco? That is a bunch of books in it? Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. Two Sisters Bar and Books is what it's called. It's good. It's got great the Bookhouse Boys meet there now. <laughs> um, so we're then introduced to these. We, we see James again, and we're introduced to this character, Joey Paulson. Um, they're waiting with uh, Bernard Renault, the brother of Jacques Renault, who was found with, uh, in possession of cocaine. So they question him about Laura, about drugs, and about his it, brother. I thought it was crazy to me. I thought it was crazy to me. There's a good mm-hmm. phrasing. Cooper is like introduced to and inducted into this secret society in this town. And then he's immediately participating in a an com- investigation. In, a, in an investigation put on by the sheriff. Yeah, outside of the ba- outside. It has nothing where he's like, what do you think about these drugs? Like, he's just like <laughs> freaking out on this guy. And I was like, wait, you're an FBI agent here to investigate a murder, but now you're like illegally, uh, like interrogating and kidnapping this person. And I don't think anything comes of it. I don't really remember, but it was just like Cooper is enthusiastic in all ways about all things, apparently, yes, including he's, just, yes. he's fully credulous at all times. Um, so, uh, yeah, at that, that so they don't get any. Direct, no, Bernard's like I don't know anything. Maybe that's my brother. If you care about answers, my brother, right? But what does happen then is that that allows Jacques to be signaled before he actually gets right to his with more secret equipment, more yeah. clandestine tools. Yep. Uh-huh. He has a red light that can blink that lets him know that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. So he stays away. He calls Leo to say Bernard's in trouble and needs to be picked up. Um, and then as Leo leaves. To go do that, we see that Shelly has hidden a handgun in yes. yet another secret compartment. Oh, I just got a secret drawer that's yep. like a little like wood slat. Uh huh. Man. Yep. Everyone in Twin Peaks are just laying them, laying them in mm-hmm. here, laying them on thick. Yep. Which then, you know, in the scene following this, that that is when we see more of of that. As we already discussed previously, we see Harry and Josie together. Josie's worried someone wants to hurt right. her. Catherine and Ben Horn. The, the sort of notable thing about this is that Josie is saying all the things that she believes and Catherine is listening through a sweet, like, 70s mm, uh, mm-hmm. built-in intercom system. Yes, classic. In, including Josie saying Andrew, who's her husband, who is the owner of the mill, was potentially murdered and she thinks that, that Catherine or someone is maybe coming after her the same way, mm-hmm. um, which is a total small detail. But, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a good – I was glad that – Josie was able to actually just say a bunch of things that she thought and was considering because she's been such 
uh, she's had not a lot of self-motivation in the show so yeah, far. She's been a character who's just been reactive. Yeah. So mm-hmm. for her to be like, I think someone is actually trying to kill me and I think that people are fucking with me. Right. It was, it was good to hear her actually be able mm-hmm. to like state stuff forward. Right. For sure. Uh, man, speaking of those, that intercom thing, I, a couple of years ago, I spent several months living with a friend of mine who has a house here in San Francisco. Well, not anymore. She's in LA now, but had a house in San Francisco that her grandparents built in like the sixties. Mm-hmm. And it has one of those intercom systems. But I guess the cool thing to do at the time was just to have all of your audio related stuff in that. So it's in, Oh yeah. My friend's grandparents have the same thing with a radio in it. Yeah. You can have the music play across <laughs> yeah. the house over your own local yeah. as- additional system. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. But it's also an intercom within the house and then also to the outside for the front yeah, door. Oh, my, my friend Billy's grandmother's house had that and it was a radio and I believe it also had an eight track uh, that you could chunk in right there as well. So you could also <laughs> just play a tape out to your house oh, man. If, if you so desire. Even better. Um, Sorry. I think that we skipped over. Oh, no, there's just this. It keeps cutting back and forth because all of this stuff is happening while Cooper is back at um, the cemetery just watching, I think, to see who shows up late at night after Laura's been put in the ground, and he sees Dr. Jacoby show up dressed as a cheesy opera villain, yeah. basically. <laughs> I, this, uh, <laughs> the thing that's great about this moment with Jacoby is that he, there's no cartoonish element to anything he's no, saying. But he's dressed like the Phantom of the Opera sneaks cape, in. <laughs> and yeah, it's amazing. Like, skulking through a cemetery, I guess he's just like, well, if I'm going to be skulking around in a cemetery, I should just yep. wear this cape and this hat or whatever yep. it is that he has on. In this case, he's not wearing anything that is goofy unto itself she's right. just wearing things that are so over the top and ornate and ridiculous that of yeah. course they're 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 absurd yeah um so he he basically suggests that he he says he had become jaded and disinterested in his patients yeah, the people laura, in the town saw saw him as a friend but he just didn't care about any of them total and, fraud and, yeah yeah until laura and that changed he, that. he felt that he he couldn't show up mm-hmm because of just that mm-hmm. reaction that Laura I mean it is yet, out in him. It is yet another just more fuel to the fire of these dueling um interpretations of Laura or 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 maybe not dueling interpretations, but just this weird complex effect she had on the town, right? Which is to be this person who is uni- seemingly universally loved in a way that is unique, um, but also not actually um but did not actually embody the things that other people externally ascribed to her like she had this effect on other people but other people's interpretation of her was often wrong right um i don't have anything to say about that beyond that point it's just this episode hammered on that pretty hard yep um there's then a conversation with cooper to hawk that doubles down on this kind of um mysticism stuff where Cooper says, do you believe in the soul? Hawk says several. Blackfoot. Or no, no, I'm sorry. It's the other way around. I think that was Hawk. No, Hawk says several. Oh, okay. Blackfoot legend, waking souls that give life to the mind and body. A dream soul that wanders. Where? Far away places. The land of the dead. Is that where Laura is? Laura's in the ground, Agent Cooper. That's the only thing I'm sure of. Which allows Hawk to both be the kind of mystical Native American character, but then also the practical hard-bitten cop character. Right. Uh, at the same time, which... I don't know. Yep. I don't know what to make of it. It's it's tough. I was glad that they at least had him say that at the end. Also, it was just it was a good sure. line, but just like yeah, yeah, yeah. that whole thing was just I will fulfill my role and mm-hmm. now 
I will deflate that by exactly. fulfilling exactly. a different role, right. but at the same time, the writer still got to write all that garbage in there. Yep. yep. And have me say it with like a glint of the cosmos in my eye. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so then we're uh, we're at the roadhouse. More big band music playing. Apparently, way now cheesier this- big band music yeah. though. <laughs> yes, but I think at this point, it it I think we're a trend is starting to appear. Um, Leland starts dancing to himself and frantically demanding someone dance, dance with, with him. me, please. please. Yeah, please, someone dance with me. Uh, once again, gets himself com- goes completely out of control. Needs to be restrained. Um, and Cooper takes him home. Yeah. And then cut and then to the episode, red, stoplight, red stoplight, and it's over. Spotlight, yep. Uh, stoplight, I'm sorry. Yeah. What an episode. Mm-hmm. What a something. It's, it's a lot of stuff in this episode, but yeah, a lot less coherent than the last. Yep. Certainly. I think what you're saying about people's perception, or rather the impression that Laura Palmer makes on people as opposed to, or and how that then kind of accidentally informs their perception of her is totally a, a through line on this episode that I hadn't really been paying attention to, but is interesting. But really, I just watched this episode for Leland dropping down into that yeah, coffin and the thing going crazy and shot. Sarah yeah, screaming. Sure. Like, that's what that, that's. Yep. 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 It feels like that scene, like, and this is just pure speculation. Just, I would just throw it, postulating this. Mm-hmm. That feels like the scene when they were mapping out this season. If they had, if, just trying in my brain to reverse engineer like the post-its or the whiteboard or whatever it was that was plotted this thing out where they're like, okay, in this episode, these 15 things happen. The Bookhouse Boys are just blah, 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 blah. Laura's funeral happens. But then there was a side note in a different color that was like, coffin goes crazy when Leland <laughs> falls in it. Like, I feel like that, like, yeah. if you're brainstorming this episode, that's the moment that makes you go, oh, God, okay, good. That's why we're putting the funeral in this right. show. Like, that's why we're making this episode at all. Whoever writes this episode, that that's gotta go has in there, to go yeah. in there. Sorry. And this is probably how you have to film it. Yeah. Like, yeah, that scene just jumped out so hard mm-hmm. relative to everything else. Yeah. Uh, did you read that New York Magazine article? I did. I thought that was really fascinating. Do I you want to if... give the name or something for it so people can look it up? Like, how, do you know how to even search for it? Oh, sure. So it's on our, um, it's actually on our Facebook page, um, which is facebook.com slash Twin Peaks Rewatch. And we also link to it on Twitter, but obviously the way Twitter works, that is very transient. Um, so it was, uh, if you search for Twin Peaks, John Leonard, New York Magazine, you'll find it. It's hosted on Vulture.com, which I guess is a property that is somehow, that I guess is owned by the same company that owns New York Magazine. Yes. So they, they reprinted it a few, a couple, a few weeks ago. Um, this article was published May 7th, 1990. It was clearly published in the week after this episode had come yes, out. So like, exactly. That's why I wanted to was, talk about it. This yeah. Time. Everyone is still reeling. Actually, it seems like, yeah, it seems like the episode was published after this one came out, but the, but uh, written mainly after episode three. The art, yeah. The interviewer did all of his work when everyone was still reeling from, uh, the scene in the red room. Right. In the previous episode and wondering what the hell that dream sequence means. Cause he's like, yeah. they don't even know yet that Cooper can't even remember or whatever, you know, like he or mm-hmm. whatever he says. Like he just, he, he has a little bit more, uh, knowledge than his interview subjects. Right. Yes. You definitely get that sense. Um, it, one of the most interesting things about this article to me was how much it clearly comes <laughs> from an era when this was just not what TV was like at all. Right. I TV mean, and TV criticism. TV and TV criticism, for sure. Um, there's a really interesting 
sense I get from this piece, this is mainly, I think, true t- towards the end of the piece when he's kind of coming to whatever vague conclusions he's coming to, which is that it's unclear if this show should be should be evaluated as television entertainment or as a kind of fully um, fully formed kind of creative work the way you would evaluate a film or something, right? Because at least in the way th- – this I think has changed a lot because we now have blogs. We now have – we have now we now have kinds of criticism that don't really necessarily pick sides in this way because they're, they're just much less formal. Um, but there wasn't such a thing in this era. Um, I mean if you're writing something to be published, it's going to be published on paper in a place with limited – either limited column inches or limited pages, or it has to be an entire book or something. Right. Um, and so I, I feel this, this kind of questioning both among the author of this piece, as well as some of the people he spoke to uh, about like, does this show need to mean anything? Can it just be crazy and entertaining and weird? And we evaluate it on that, on those basis, that basis, or does it, do, do we need to hold it to the same standard we would hold I don't know, a serious film or a work of literature or something and say like, does this mean anything or is it just weird? And it was interesting reading the article, both, both because of the specific people that he ended up. So it was a, he who wrote the article, right? Yeah. John Leonard, who he sourced. And then also the responses, like it feels like he didn't really have a specific go-to place to go because I imagine there's not, there's not a critical community about this. So it's like, he's talking to, authors he's talking to friends he's talking to other critics and then also he talked to a television screenwriter and then the responses also range from this is nothing and should be disregarded despite it having interesting qualities to Mm -hmm. i'm in it and i know it's schlocky to maybe this is actually art maybe this is transformative to like this is a flash in the pan like just people are all over the place with what to make of the show and it was Mm -hmm. Like Which right at the like, at the height of its fever, it yeah, seems like. And I feel like it's easy to poo-poo that now, except – but like consider at the time, this thing had started just a couple of weeks ago and nobody knew – nobody knew anything about it. Yep. You know, it would have been – I mean I think even five years ago, the cultural cachet of Twin Peaks was a fraction of what it is now. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's because there have been multiple DVD releases mm-hmm. finally. Yeah. So trying to sort that out three or four episodes in – Yep. Yeah, nobody knows what to make of it. Well, I know my friend Jared went to the Twin Peaks Festival, which is right. the like fan gathering that takes place in the town that Twin Peaks was filmed. He went in like 2004, 5, 6, somewhere like that. He's, I think it was even longer ago. It might have been 1999. T- no, Jared didn't go in 99. Oh, no, sorry. You're right. It was 2000. He went in like oh, two. Yeah, he went yeah, like 12 years ago. I'm sorry. And he said there there were just like 40, 50, 60 people there at the most, in, I think potentially including the cast members of the show who showed mm-hmm. up. And but now it sells out. Now the thing sells immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. <coughs> I'm sure that's because at the time you either watched it off of an incomplete VHS release or something someone taped off of TV, whereas now everyone can watch Twin Peaks on Netflix. Right. But someone's cell phone. Yeah, I don't know. I I I just thought this was a really fascinating piece. Um, yeah, it continue- I, I liked how many of the reactions just by the I guess because John Leonard was a, himself a prominent critic 
and New York Magazine, you know, a, a fairly substantial publication, um, a lot of the responses came from kind of noteworthy literary figures and, you know, people who you wouldn't obviously speak to if you're just in the modern era, just writing your blog post reaction to this show or recording a podcast about right. this show on a weekly basis. Um, that was an interesting property of it. Yeah. It, also, the the article interspersed with the interview quote, quotes and his impressions were also a bunch of quotes from Frost and Lynch, mm-hmm. some of which seemed like they were sourced for that article and some seemed like they were right. pulled so, from other yes, interviews. Like It was just yeah. sort of... There was some New York Times quotes, I think, that were in here. Yeah, the whole... It was it was a a strange and good article in that it kind of just formed a weird quilt of where the world was at in regards to Twin Peaks at that exact moment in time, mm-hmm. and then having him go, eh? I mean, I don't remember what, what was. Did he have a very strong conclusion? No, he didn't. Well, yeah, th- that was the conclusion. The, was kind of mixed in the way that I was trying to get at earlier because I thought that was really interesting. He. Um, so the the it it ends on an answering machine message. I'm just going to read this whole thing. Through the miracle of modern communication technology, these last words, when I called the Novoskis, Victor, the editor of The Nation, was in Asia. His wife, Annie, a financial consultant, left this message on my answering machine. When I made three friends and my mother all stay home to watch the first Twin Peaks because of your review, I was astonished to have each one call after a different commercial to tell me I had lost all credibility because the fact is this program has everything I ever hoped for in television. The story of the beautiful homecoming queen with something else going on is irresistible to women who are never cheerleaders. The strange comic asides are delightfully mysterious. Forget the donuts. Why is that kid boogieing into class in the first episode? But the best part is just listening to the music, watching the Douglas firs, and feeling your skin prickle. Love, Annie. And then, amen, says the right. author. And that comes, the, the sort of arc of the article starts with his crazy sort of feverish excitement about Twin Peaks and then mm-hmm. over the course of the article he sort of starts to second guess himself and is like well, maybe true, it's yeah. not Here, let me read some of this I don't well, know actually. and then it ends with but actually but this is fine as what it is yeah, yeah. he's because he says early and I should have I guess started with the paragraph before this but he says um by the time of the dwarf I was hoping instead for something like Tom Pynchon among the Thanatoids in Vineland this is almost as silly uh Wittgenstein had a philosophy and Pynchon has some politics Lynch is merely moody more of a Warhol Though beautiful to look at, there isn't much of anything inside his soft labyrinth except an unimportant secret. Unlike, say, The Prisoner with Patrick McGowan, or The Edge of Darkness, the brilliant British echo thriller that Channel 13 refuses to run, or The Singing Detective, which Lynch says he's never seen, Twin Peaks has nothing at all in its pretty little head except the desire to please. In this and only this, it resembles almost everything else on television. But beautiful is better. Must we, like the deconstructionist, moisten everything with meaning? And then he... Yeah, it sort of it goes from his enthusiasm to thinking about it, to thinking about it, to potentially... I wouldn't say overthinking it, it, but like at least sort of. Wait, maybe there's nothing actually here. Maybe I, maybe it's just right. But then, and then it ends with that answering machine message, which mm-hmm. is good. it's man, it's a good article. Yeah, it is. Um, you want to read some mail from readers? Yeah, let's see if we have any any mail. Um, I also don't know if there's going to be any spoiler stuff this episode, unless you've got anything. I have one spoiler thing. Okay, yeah, it's very short. Uh, so don't don't worry about it if you're not uh, don't listen to it. But also don't worry you're missing anything if you can't listen to it. Um, do you have a an episode? Or, I'm sorry, a fake podcast title to give out before I do this? Oh um, well, as some of you guys know, we're, we work at a video game company called Campo Santo, and we're making a game called Firewatch. And everyone in the entire, not everyone in the entire world, because no one really knows what we do or what this podcast is, but we've received multiple suggestions 
for uh, Fire Watch With Me as a weird meta joke title for the show. So that's this week's rejected title, and it is rejected for many reasons. But thank you to everyone for <laughs> sending it in. Yep. Thanks. You know, I don't know if I even have a lot of mail here that I need to read right now. Okay. There's one piece of mail I'm going to read in the spoiler section. Okay. But for now, if you do have further mail, please do send it to us. Um, next week, we'll be discussing episode five. Um, you can reach us at twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash twinpeaksrewatch, on Twitter at peaksrewatch, and our website is twinpeaksrewatch.com. If you like this show, please tell your friends, and if you uh, think we're worth it, review us on iTunes. Leave us a rating. That would be great. Um, oh, that. and also thank you to the Twin Peaks podcast for a couple shout-outs to our show on Twitter. Oh, yeah. That was really appreciated. There's a different podcast called the Twin, just called Twin Peaks Podcast, and uh, they gave us a nice shout-out on their Twitter feed. That yeah. was very kind. Thank you. Now for a quick spoiler. Enjoy this music. So Tyler James writes the spotlight. Hey guys, I'm sorry. The stoplight. This week, I keep alternate that. title for this week <laughs> yes. is stoplight or spotlight. <laughs> hey guys, I was just listening to your episode about the pilot, and my favorite imagery is that of the spotlight. Stoplight. Stoplight. My goodness. Uh, I believe on my last rewatch of Fire Walk with Me, I uncovered its significance. It is the location of the last time James sees Laura alive before she runs off to join Leo. I think this makes it even more striking because in that scene in the movie, James is trying to reason with Laura and get her to keep fighting her problems before it's too late. When she abandons him at the stoplight, this is the symbol of her accepting her date, fate. I think probably fate. When the light changes, her date with destiny. (laughs) When the light changes color, James is forced to leave her behind. Just wanted to share a little of the peak's knowledge I've accumulated. Keep up with the good work. That's that's a good point. Actually, um, now that that was written, and I think someone on the forums mentioned that in the thread for the pilot as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Him last seeing her underneath that stoplight is good in a billion ways. Mm-hmm. And that could be another case, again, of something you mentioned last week of possibly... He actually that- says that line. He actually says that to the to Cooper and Truman in one of the early episodes, actually. He says uh, something... About, I think it was something about a yellow light and Laura just jumps off his bike. Okay. Whether or not that's the same stoplight as the one in the intersection in the middle of town that they keep using, that could have sure, of stitched itself together yeah, a little yeah, yeah. more in, mm-hmm. in Firewalk With Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hmm, interesting. Yeah. You want to you call it? Yeah. One thing about that coffin. Oh, sure. I, I don't know if I'm going to get into it. It's like, I don't, this is not a read that is in my brain from myself. I feel like it's something someone else has said. Mm-hmm. But it is weird that, that Leland Palmer is basically laying on top of his daughter as they're convulsing up and down and he's crying like it's just oh yeah it's gross but it's oh, yeah. also gross again knowing where all of it goes and where it yes, came from especially firewalk with me yeah 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 that that scene is hilarious now but then like if you if you were to watch firewalk with me and then cut into all of the things that you see with leland palmer mm-hmm. in the show that are yeah it would be funny horrific. they would actually just be the absolutely mm-hmm. t- most terrible things ever mm-hmm. anyway that's all <laughs> on that note on that note see you next week for episode 5 week. aka thanks, episode thanks, 4 thanks for listening yeah oh bye Chris bye Jake this week's musical accompaniment is brought to you by Bobby